You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Luke chapter 15. Father's Day is one of those really unique uh, holidays for sure. Similar to Mother's Day, obviously. You know, they're both roles that we have as parents. And I think it's always interesting because, you know, depending on your family dynamics or just circumstances of life, Father's Day or Mother's Day can be a day that's filled with tremendous joy or tremendous grief, or it can just kind of be in that middle ground of just that bluff. So I'm excited, though. I'm excited as I was preparing for this morning and thinking through what did I really want to share with us as a church And I also want to acknowledge, like, I know that everybody in our church is not a dad and is not um, in that role and in that that spot. So I think there's God still wants to speak to us regardless of our role, even though today we want to to make a concerted effort to celebrate those that are in that that role and that calling. And so um, before we get started, I want to take a moment and pray one more time before we dive into God's word together. So, Father God, we just lift up our hearts to you this morning. I pray that you would speak to us as your church. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are working in each life here. Father, whether we are single or married or have children or not, Lord, you are working in the midst of all of our stories and all of our circumstances, young and older. God, you are always at work in each of our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, we do, we lift up our hearts to you and we invite ourselves into your presence, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us as your children. God, that you would bring encouragement, that you would bring comfort, that you would fill us with your love so that we can go and love our families and our coworkers and those that we just come into contact with throughout our city. And so, God, we do, we just lift up ourselves to you And it's with a humble heart that we ask you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to be in verse 11. Uh, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him in his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father sent, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let ha- let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of man was dead. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came into the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. For those of you that have attended church for more than probably six months have probably heard this story. Um, And you probably know it as the story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal simply means wasteful. Because the young son goes and wastes all of his father's inheritance. You know, choosing to live this wild life out where he's going to go and he's going to drink and he's going to be wild and do all these things. And as I was preparing for Father's Day, something that I always like about Father's Day is constantly bringing us as a people back into remembering the, the heart of our Father. To really see who He is. But what I want this morning is our focus not to just be on the outward actions of what's going on in this story this morning, but to, to examine this Father's heart. In this story, we see that the Father is loving. We see that God, the Father's loving heart for his younger son and how he allows his son to come in requesting his inheritance while he's still alive. There's a tremendous amount of relationship. And and I want to be very clear, this is a very disrespectful moment. If any of my children decided to come up to me and say, Dad... I just, I know you're not dead, but I just want my inheritance now. I'd be like, that's too bad. <laughs> I think you're going to get a little less. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but that's essentially what the son's saying. The son's showing up and he's saying, hey, dad, you can drop dead. All I really want is I want my inheritance so I can get out of here. Because we see he's asking for the, the money, not because he's trying to build a home or he's trying to to you know, start a business or trying to create roots where he's at. But he strictly just wants the money to leave, to flee the presence of his father and his brother. And what's amazing to me about this story is that we don't see the father doing what I would do, where he you know, sits his son down and lectures him on poor choices, telling him he's too young, he can't have this money or this responsibility, or is just mad and just is like, just get out of here. Like, you're so ungrateful. 
But instead, we see a dad that's willing to take great financial risk upon himself as he divides his estate and sells parts of it off and gives money to the younger son. So he puts himself in a financial bind so he can meet what his son is asking for. And as we know, the son goes. He leaves and flees and goes and wastes all this money. All these things. And the thing that always strikes me about this is that the son had the, the thought that he could ask this question. I don't think any of us could probably, with a good conscience, imagine going to our parents and saying something like that. And asking for that. And we look at the son and we call him the prodigal because he wastes this money that's given to him. But the father is the one who gives him the opportunity to be wasteful. And the question we should be asking this morning is, why does the father do that? Why does the father willingly put himself at risk? And the father knows his son. He's seen his son. He's been with him. He sees who he is. Why does he do this? And it's really simple. Because the father loves his son. He respects the son enough to give him room, to give him freedom. For those of you that don't know me and know my background, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. And it was a super exciting. I worked with high school kids, love high school kids. And I'll have, I, I still get a lot of phone calls from my old high school parents who will call me about different things their kids are doing and shenanigans they're getting into. And it's, I love it because I'm, I'm not in that stage yet. And I always tell them, I'm like, all the advice I'm giving you, I'm going to need you to call me and give it back to me when my kids are at this age. But one of the things I would always tell parents in these seasons, I would encourage them and remind them Your child's in high school now. You're not parenting from a place of dominance or a place of, you know, just 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 pure authority. But you need to parent from a perspective of relationship, a perspective of love. That's why the father gives this room is because he loves his son. Because. Many times I want God to intervene and not allow me to do or say the things that are going to bring me difficulty or harm. I want God to be this like magical guardrail that it's like, hey, before you say that, like cut it off. Don't say that thing to your wife because it's not going to go well. Or don't take your kids to this place because it's probably not the greatest thing. Daisy's probably going to break her arm. You know, all these different aspects where um, I want God to step in and, and, and shield me. I want him to take away all temptation so I can just be good. But in reality, that's not the way that we live. There are temptations. There are choices that we make that hurt ourselves or we hurt others. And God in his loving kindness respects our choice. Because he genuinely loves you and I. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8. It says this. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And so we see this love of the Father that is unfailing and this love that is living from this place of relationship rather than just obedience. We see also that the Father is patient. As our story unfolds, the younger brother is away and living it up. He's partying, he's drinking, he's sleeping around, he's experiencing all that the world has to offer. And it's, it's amazing. As the, the younger brother lives this way, and as time passes, he ends up with nothing. He has no friends, no community, no family. But instead, he's this stranger that's in a different land. With no food and no money. But the thing that he still has is he has a father who is waiting for him patiently. We see this in verse 20 where it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. This gives us the idea, this picture that the father was sitting, looking out the window, watching for his son, waiting for him to return, hoping he would return. And in my years in ministry, there's something that is really profound is really to see the heart of a parent when a child goes a different direction than they they hope for their their child. How parents will wait with this eager expectation, hoping and waiting and praying and believing that they will come to themselves and that they will choose a different path, that they will get back on course. And the beautiful thing about this for us, too, this morning is that wherever you're at with Jesus, he is loving. He is patient. He's willing to meet you where you're at. Look at and remember how he shows up with Thomas. We all remember doubting Thomas who says, hey, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch the scars in his hands and, and feel the wound in his side. I don't know if he's really risen. And I think he gets kind of a bad rap for that, but he's hurt after Jesus has died on the cross and is confused by everything. And Jesus doesn't mock him about this, but he shows up and meets him. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, put your hand in my side. Feel the holes in my hands. And I think a lot of us, if you're like me, you like to kind of have a little bit of yourself in that story where you just imagine Jesus being like, come on, feel the holes in my side. Like, I'm here. I'm meeting you where you're at. But it's not that tone. That's not the, the, the tone that that passage carries. It carries a gentle, a loving saying, no, come and feel. Trust me. The same way, you know, as we... We call out to our kids and we ask them to jump to us. 
When my kids, I ask them to jump to me. You know, all my kids are pretty good about jumping to me. Peter makes me a little nervous because he just falls forward. He doesn't actually jump. I don't know what's going on with his legs, but we're working on it. <laughs> the, uh, but I always tell them the same thing. I go, you can jump to me and I will catch you because I always do. Some of you have seen when my kids jump to me when I'm not even paying attention. And they just plow into me and I still catch them. Thankfully, they're not a ball and small. So I, because I don't, I drop all the balls that are thrown at me, but not, not my kids, thankfully. But Jesus, he does. He meets us where, where we're at. To Peter, who at one point said he would die for Jesus and then runs from him and denies him. Jesus meets with him and asks him three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I like you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. Peter, do you like me? And it says that Peter's cut to the heart in that moment. And Peter responds and says, you know all things. You know that I like you. And it's in that moment that Peter is commissioned to be an apostle. That he would be someone that was sent to plant churches and create, you know, and change the world with him and his fellow apostles. And that's in John 21. The, if you read it in the English translation, it just says love. But the, if you read it with the Greek translations, there's, there's some likes in there. Just so you know. Uh, and the reality is Jesus wants to meet you and I where we're at. He doesn't want us to go and fake this spiritualness or anything like that. He wants to meet us in our good when we're at, when we're doing really well and things are great. And he also wants to meet us when things are bad, when we're doubting and we're struggling and we're angry and we're frustrated and discouraged in the seasons where you're reading your Bible and you're praying regularly and practicing giving and thriving and fasting and all these different things. But he also wants to meet with you in the seasons where you're struggling with anxiety and doubt and being come overwhelmed by sin and temptation. Jesus wants to simply meet you where you're at this morning. And as the father waited for his son to return, so Jesus waits for us who have drifted or are struggling. And he waits for our return because he is loving, because he is patient, because he is kind. Another thing that the father, about the father that we see in the story is that the father is compassionate. When we see the younger son realize, you know, he comes to himself. Man, I would have a better life if I would just be a servant in my father's house than I am living on my own. So in shame, he prepares this speech. I don't deserve to be your son. I just want to be a servant like I just want to come back. And he sets off. And I just imagine him the way that every kid feels when they're, they've messed up with their parents. I think we've all had these moments where you're doing, you have that little gap of time where you have to walk and kind of think through what you've done. And you rehearse your lines in your head. At least I did this. <laughs> I'm going to say this. And they're going to say this. And then I'm going to say this. And I'm going to come out looking good. We're going to be all right. 
But he prepares this speech. And this story is so beautiful because what this story represents, the Father represents the Heavenly Father. God the Father. And nowhere in the Bible do we ever see where it shows God running to anything. He's never running from anything. He's never running to anything. But in this story, we see that we have a God who runs. And as a runner, I appreciate that. (laughs) Just trying to be more like God. Uh, But we see that he is running to someone. In this story, the father sees his son and he runs to him. And when he gets to him, he scoops him up and wraps him up in his arms and kisses him and welcomes his son home. Why does the father respond this way? It's very simple. His heart is moved with compassion. When he sees his son, his son would have looked different. His son is not returning looking good or put together. He doesn't have shoes. His clothes are worn. He's been working with pigs, so he probably has this really awesome aroma about him. He was not the son he had seen leave his home years before. Life in the world had beaten him up a little bit. And I think there's some of us in this room that we, could, we can relate to that statement. I know I can. Life has beaten me up quite a bit in my, my life. This younger brother has lost all this money. He has lost all his relationships. He's in this place where he's literally starving, wanting to eat pig food. So this son who had left in health and wealth returns thin and just completely ragged. He had been humbled. And church, this is the picture of the gospel. The picture of the gospel is not that any of us ever come put together or with fine clothes, and, but we come like this man. We come beaten and ragged and, you know, just broken down. And the thing that I love about this story is the father does not turn in disgrace. Like, what are you doing, man? Why would you have done this? You weren't a good steward with what I gave you. You literally wasted half of the the money I spent my life trying to accumulate. He doesn't look at him and have this judgment. And so hear this this morning, church, that Jesus looks at you and he does not look at any of us with a frustration or a judgment. Similar to how he operates in John 8 when they bring the adulterous woman and they throw her in the middle of the room and they say, who should kill? We should kill this woman according to the law. She's made these mistakes. And Jesus sits there and draws in the sand with, with his fingers. 
And Jesus simply, when they pressure him more and more, he says, let him who is without sin to be the one that casts the first stone. And then continues drawing in the sand. And as the story progresses, it says that the oldest from the youngest begin to leave because they feel their guilt. They know they are not without sin. And eventually everybody is gone and it's just Jesus and this woman. And I love this picture. I love what he says next. Because Jesus stands with this woman and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? And she says, There are none. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the word for us this morning, church. The heart of the Father looks at us and does not say, I'm disappointed in you. I'm frustrated by you. You could have had so much more, but you wasted it. Maybe you're like me and you, my dad was in prison for 20 years of my life. He was a heroin addict and made a lot of really bad choices. So this idea of a loving father is strange to me. It's not something I've experienced as a child. And so maybe this is hard, but this is the, this is the truth and this is the the hope that we stand on as followers of Jesus and why we follow Jesus is because the Father doesn't look at us and say, I'm disappointed, but instead he runs to us and hugs us and kisses us and throws this huge party welcoming us home. And some of us know that isn't the Father we grew up with. You did have to perform. You didn't have room to fail or make mistakes. And the beautiful thing is that your heavenly father loves you and has compassion for you. And maybe this morning you're someone that's drifted off and you've let your faith kind of fall by the wayside. And this morning, I believe Jesus is calling you back to himself. He's waiting with patience, with compassion and love, ready to receive you. All we have to do is come. You don't need a speech. You don't need to perform. All you have to do is come. And the older brother is saddened, is the saddest person in this story. Because he doesn't know this compassion. He hadn't experienced this compassion. The other younger brother is being celebrated and the father and his servants are excited that the young son is back, but the older brother is, is bitter. He stands on this confidence in what he's done and how he's been. He was the one who stayed. He is the one who worked hard, who developed the family business and the family legacy. He followed orders. He did what he was supposed to, but he wasn't celebrated. And so when his brother comes home, 
He wants justice. And the same father that scoops up his son that comes back tattered and ragged and broken is the father that is begging this son to come and be a part of the celebration. And what makes this story sad to me and the weight that I always think about when I think of this story is that this older son did not realize the father that was living in the home with him. And I think how we can operate in that same way. We can go to church, we can go to MC, we can serve, we can do good things, we can do all the actions. But if the heart's not cultivated, if the Holy Spirit's not speaking and moving in the lives of our our hearts, we feel hollow. We may stay faithful in following Jesus. We may know the right things. We may say the right things. We may do the right things. But in the end, we're really not in relationship with him. And I do, I feel that this is a warning for for us as a church. To not let time slip by like the older brother. Going through life, but not actually experiencing the love that Jesus has for you and being in relationship with him. Because they were close in proximity, but they weren't. He didn't see that the father was loving and patient and compassionate. He didn't realize who this man was. And as he's complaining to his dad, and I never got celebrated with my friends. But this son who disrespects you, who blows your wealth and brings shame to us as a family. That's the son you want to celebrate, that you want to have a party for. And I love the way that the father responds to him. In verse 31, where he, I just picture this old wise man looking at his boy. And he says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. What he's saying to his son, he's saying, you haven't missed anything. You haven't lost anything. The older brother missed the point he felt like he had to perform. And I wonder if any of you are like me. When we come to God, we want to show up, put together, and successful. We want to know theologically that God, or we may know theologically that God loves us regardless of what we have done. But in reality, we struggle with this. We struggle in experiencing it. God wants us to come to him regardless because the goal is not sinlessness. Jesus took care of that part. The goal is and always will be relationship. And so may we come to Jesus in both our successes and in our failures. I was listening to a podcast while I was running this week. And this pastor was sharing this story where he talked about this theologian that had this great amount of knowledge and this 
just this depth. His intelligence level is way past mine. And somebody was interviewing him and talking to him about his relationship with God and how does that work. And, you know, people are always kind of curious about that stuff. And he talked about this experience in the midst of as he was having a lot of success and writing books and doing these different studies and things like that. He went on this special retreat where he would go and meet with this camp director every morning and then they would give him some spiritual exercise to practice throughout the day. And there's one that he's held on to and that he does every day. And he's done it for the past 30 years. It's the fact that anybody's done anything for one every day for 30 years, I think, is very impressive. But he came in and he's all excited. He's like, all right, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to learn and grow. And I'm going to just like really take this by the horns. And the camp director's sitting there in his chair. He's like, all right. I want you to go and take four hours and I want you to meditate on this verse from Song of Solomon. And all it says is, I am my beloved and he is mine. And to just sit in that weight and to experience the promise and the reality of that. And I think we need to hear that this morning. You are God's church, and he is yours. And may that be something that resonates, that our faith is not just something you know intellectually, but something that we live and experience in a very real and meaningful way. To wrap up, really, the the story of the prodigal son really could be the prodigal father. The father who is willing to give of himself in tremendous ways. And so to those of you that are dads, I want to ask you to to consider this question with me this morning. How do you want to be remembered? When you think through your, your life and you fast forward 10, 15, 20, 30 years. How, what's, what do you want to be remembered for? I know for me, I want to be like the father in this story. Not living for results or just trying to have good behavior out of my kids, which I love good behavior. Not living for my own benefit or a comfortable life. But really when I think back on what I want to be remembered as, I want to be someone that remembered as someone who followed Jesus passionately and faithfully. A man that genuinely loved my wife and my kids with all of myself. A man who was patient with my children. Allowing them to make mistakes and to, and to live in a way that they know that they're still loved. A man marked by compassion that when I see people that are coming up to me 
whether they're raggedy spiritually or they're raggedy physically, that I wouldn't turn away from them, but I would run to them and share the good news of that there is a God that loves them way more than I will ever be able to love them. And so, dads, this morning, I want to encourage you. Live into our identity as fathers, as followers of Jesus, being the kind of father that we see in this story. Men that are compassionate, men that are forgiving and and patient, men that are loving. This is the kind of people that our children need and our world needs. And I just want to say from, from the stage, when I look out at each of you that I know personally that are dads, I see a tremendous gift in each of you. Dusty, I always have this memory when you left for uh, Florida to do your things and as we prayed for you on our church stage the most beautiful moment of that Sunday wasn't the worship it wasn't the the children playing the most beautiful moment was as we prayed for you as a church watching your daughter come up and cling to you seeing the love that you've poured into your daughter and the love that your daughters have for you is really inspiring Josh the beauty of watching you raise your boys and give all of yourself and support your wife. Like I just see you as a truly amazing man. Kyle, we've known each other for a long time. (laughs) And the way that you encourage your kids to walk in a path that's right and good and you're slow and patient with them and encouraging them. I just love watching who you are as a father and watching you develop in that journey. Chris, the beauty of seeing you in the stage you're in with little ones and having somebody else that's in that stage as well and just how much joy I see you as you scoop up your boy and the way you love Sage. It's truly amazing to watch. And I want to say these things to you, and I want to speak these things over you as your pastor. And I apologize if it makes you uncomfortable. I want to affirm what's good and encourage you to continue on in that journey. And the beauty is, as I know, as I, as I see it, I know God sees so much more. And I know I just get a snapshot. So continue walking in that this morning, guys. Make sure you grab a gift on your way out. And uh, with that, I want to pray for us all one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together. Lord, to study your word and to see your heart for us. And Lord, I thank you that if we have a father that is an earthly father that is loving and is kind and is all these things, Lord. We give you praise for that. We give you thanks that we have, those that have had that example, 
And Lord, I'm thankful that those of us that have grown up with fathers that are not around or their, their presence isn't a joyful thing, that we still have this experience, that we still have a father that loves us with this deep desire and this deep passion. And so Jesus, I pray for each one of us that we would experience your love this morning, that we would experience your patience and your compassion. Father, we thank you that you are good and that you are faithful and that you're worthy to be worshipped. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, I'm going to just read a benediction over you as you go. The embrace of the Father be the comfort the comfort you desire. The name of the Son be the one on whom you rely. The presence of the Spirit be with you every hour. The three in one be the focus of all you are. So church, this morning as you go, may you go in peace, may you go in love. So much you be in this morning. Love you all.